I'm so excited to be in this word with you guys today. Um, so excited to continue. We started talking about a series a couple um, weeks ago, and um, man, I'll be honest, um, I didn't know it was even going to be a series when we started, and here we are, and now it is, and you know, whatever. God knows what he's doing. I obviously do not, but um, we started a series called The Father's Heart, and it's a series about repentance, and um, I love what what just happened because I know for some of us, including me, that's like what that's what that moment was. We're just coming before God and saying, hey, I'm caught up in me, and I need to be caught up in you, and I'm sorry, and I, I want you. And for some of us, maybe we were asking for other things, maybe repentance for somebody else, or we were just thanking God or, or whatever the thing was. It doesn't really matter. That's the amazing thing. I don't have to know any of that because God knows all that. And, um, man, it's so good. Um, I think that that's, that's an old-fashioned thing to just come down to the front of a room before people and, 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 and bow before God and, and just pray. But, man, that's that's what we need. Um, as, uh, this is for free this morning, but um, I don't know if you ever read Leviticus. Um, if you haven't, pray a lot before you read it because um, Leviticus, right? Um, um, I'll be honest. Usually I read Leviticus, and I'm like, oh, man, such a struggle because um, it's just like basically a lot of the same, like you did this thing, bring this bull or this thing, and then kill it. And then if you do this thing, bring this bull and this thing and kill it. And Anyway, I was, I've been reading, I'm in numbers now, but I've been reading Leviticus and um, I think it was four, chapter four or five, it starts talking about bringing this um, sacrifice to the temple. And man, that's such an interesting concept, isn't it? Like we get off really easy because we just sit in our chair and we're like, I, you know, talk to God, repent right here. Nobody has to know. But like, imagine these guys bringing these bulls up the steps of this temple. Like everybody knows where you're going and everybody knows what you're going for repentance used to be such a like public thing and it's it's not for people they don't nobody knows what you're coming down here for but man i just believe if we really believe there's a god who's going to move then we're not going to be ashamed to ask and we don't really care who sees and um and, and the truth of it is today if we were really concerned about god working and moving in our lives then we wouldn't really be concerned about our neighbor's thoughts about god working and moving in our lives and when we get to the place where we're like, God, I just need you more than I need somebody's approval or somebody's opinion of me, and, and then we come before God, that's, that's humbly coming. I don't care what people think. I don't care. I'm, I'm a sinner. I don't think that I try to hide that from anybody. I don't get up here and give you my list because, man, that's just none of your business, I guess, but... But the reality of it is, is I'm, I'm a sinner, I'm a broken individual, and I can't do anything without God. And I want you to know that because anything good you see in me, I want you to know it's not from me, it's from him. I couldn't even got out of bed this morning if it wasn't for him. And even though it's maybe old-fashioned, and maybe that's not something we do anymore, maybe we would see God work more if we would get in a position of humility more. And we would just say, God, I don't care who sees, I want you to see. Because, God, it doesn't matter what my neighbor thinks. It matters what you think. And I need you to move. And I'm desperate for it. So it's beautiful. <laughs> what we saw a minute ago, and I, I hope that that's not the first time and the only time. But a few weeks ago, we started this series on repentance. And I think we all kind of get the general idea of what repentance is. It's this idea of being sorry for our sins. I think a lot of times when we repent, it's not necessarily sorry for our sins. It's just sorry that maybe God's mad about our sin or, or, or sorry that maybe we got caught in our sin. Um, so let's just see the definition of repentance. I, I'm getting older, I've noticed, and I can't read those little words, so sorry. But repentance is to turn from sin and to dedicate oneself to the amendment of one's life to feel regret or contrition that it's not just to feel sorry but it's to feel sorry in such a way that we try to change what we're sorry for that's repentance right like if you got kids and they keep doing the same thing over and over again and they're like i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry what you realize really quick is they're not actually sorry they're just sorry that you're mad 
And I feel like a lot of times we come to, to God like that. Hey, I'm sorry for doing that thing for the 711th time. Um, and I'm going to ask you again tomorrow. And I'm going to ask you again the next day. And the next day and the next day. And then what do you say to your kids when they, when they do that? Um, your sorry doesn't really mean much, right? Because that's not really even being sorry. Repentance is this idea that we... We begin to see our sin and we're sorry for our sin, but then we become haters of our own sin. And we try to eradicate or stamp that out from our life. That's the idea of repentance, and that's what we've been talking about the past few weeks, because this is God's heart for us, that we would repent, that we would come and we would say, I'm sorry for my sin, but then we would get up and we would live in a different way. We would be free from that thing. And this week, we're going to continue talking about that in John chapter 3. Um, most of us at least know something about John chapter 3, and it's what? John three sixteen for God so, right? Love the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believes or believeth, if you're right, like King James people, uh, in him should not perish but have everlasting life like that we I don't know where we learned that at but we like all know that one right like if you've been to church like one time I don't know like if they just they, they plug it in and like put that in you like I'm not even good at memorizing scripture but I've known that one as long as I can remember right like and you're like where did I get that how did I do that um, but we did that but the amazing thing about John chapter 3 is that that's not the only verse in John chapter 3. Um, it's an amazing verse in John chapter 3, a verse I'm very thankful for, but a verse that's surrounded by some story and some context. And, and John 3, or the whole book of John, is this narrative story of Jesus' life written from the perspective of a disciple named John. He calls himself John the disciple Jesus loves. Now, some of us look at that and we think that's arrogant, but really I think John just understands what's going on. Like, Jesus loves John and Jesus loves us. So maybe you should just start. Like, I'm Brad, the guy that Jesus loves. Like, uh, you'd probably not talk to me if I greeted you like that every time, but um, that's what this guy does. And, you know, whatever, Jesus still likes him. Um, But he writes all of this from this eyewitness perspective of I was actually there and I saw these things take place. And I love that. We, we've been told, like, growing up, right, that this Bible, like, they were written, these books were written hundreds of years after the death of Jesus, and there's some irregularities and errors in it, and that's just not true. John, the disciple Jesus loved, who was there with Jesus, is the guy writing this, and what we're about to read is, like, the conversation that actually happened, and John knows that because he was there. I love that. There's some credibility, some realness. Again, just like, just like our stories, this is a story that John has seen God actually work in and among people like us. Amazing. John 3 uh, actually is a story that doesn't just talk about the gospel, but is a story about Jesus having a conversation with a guy named Nicodemus. It says, there was a man from the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees are these religious leaders, specifically teachers of the law. He was a guy who was a teacher of this thing that we would call the Old Testament. And there are 613 laws in the Old Testament that's the do this and don't do this kind of stuff of the Bible. And he actually knew those things and taught those things. He was pretty good at it, apparently, um, because it says that he was a leader of the Jews. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus who was a leader of the Jews. He was this religious leader, not just in the way that he was a Pharisee, but he was a man um, that had been selected for the Sanhedrin, this religious kind of supreme court of, of Jerusalem. Now, this is amazing because out of all the people in the world, there were 71 people that got to serve on this Sanhedrin. It was the great Sanhedrin in Jerusalem, and he was one of those guys. So that's kind of an amazing thing, right? Like 71 people in all of Israel, all these Jewish believers, and you know there were more than 71 teachers, Pharisees, in, in that area. And then he is on this council of 71 people that knew the law in such a way that they got to interpret cases of the law like on the behalf of God. Pretty cool. And he's one of those guys. So we have this Pharisee, this religious leader, Named Nicodemus. Now, normally when we see Pharisees, religious leaders, it's, we're not going to a good place, right? Like, this is not going to be a good conversation. They're coming in and they're trying to trick Jesus into saying something stupid so that they can say that Jesus is not the Son of God and they can do something with Jesus and get rid of Jesus. Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, religious leaders are not giant fans of Jesus. 
Never the hero of the story, never the guys kind of swooping in to do the amazing things. The religious people often in the Bible are not the good guys of the Bible. Now, I just want you to hear that. I'm not saying that we're not the good guys, but we're not the good guys. We don't get it all the time. We, we maybe memorize vast amounts of scripture. I'm not good at that, but maybe some of you are. And we maybe sit around and read the Bible a lot. He did as well. So did the other Pharisees and Sadducees. That does not make us the hero of the story. So here's this Pharisee, and he comes to Jesus. And you kind of, if you've ever read some of these before, you kind of know maybe where this is going. And it says, this man came to him, but he came to him at night. Now, this was unusual. Normally when the Pharisees are coming, they're trying to trick Jesus. They're doing it in a public place where there's lots of witnesses. So if Jesus says something stupid, there's a lot of people that hear it. It never goes well for them, by the way. There's story after story where they try, but they can never trip up Jesus. He's not going to be tripped up in the word of God because he is the word of God, John chapter 1. But they didn't know that. So they come and they try to trick Jesus in the middle of the day when he's teaching lots of people. But there's something different about this Nicodemus guy. He comes to Jesus and he comes to him at night when nobody's around. Maybe he's got a different motive than the other guys. And it says, he said to him, Rabbi. Now, this is not an unusual thing. Usually when we see the Pharisees come to Jesus, they do greet him as rabbi. It's a word that means teacher. But usually it's with a condescending tone because Jesus to them is some uneducated carpenter that just showed up and started teaching the Bible. And he's got no business teaching the Bible. He's never been to seminary. He's not some guy that's like went to Bible college and learned all these things. He, He makes chairs and here he is teaching the word of God and people are coming to listen. And it created some jealousy. But I don't think that's what Nicodemus is doing. I think he really means this. He comes to him and he says, teacher, respect. We know that you have come from God. Now, this has never been said by a Pharisee before. They do not admit this. They may know it, but they've never said it out loud before. He looks at Jesus and he says, I know you're from God. Now, he gets it wrong because he says, I know you've come from God as a teacher. Jesus was a teacher, but his primary purpose on earth was not to teach. God didn't send his son all the way from heaven to earth to die so we could learn more stuff. We had enough teachers. Jesus is a lot of things, right? He's a healer. He's a comforter. He's he's all these things and more. But his primary role on the planet was not to be anything like that. His primary role is to be a savior. All those other things are just added grace, added benefit from Jesus. Nicodemus comes, he says, we know you've come from God as a teacher. And he says, here's the reason why. For no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. He says, there's no way in the world any of this stuff that you can do can be done apart from God. Now, that's an intelligent comment, right? They've seen Jesus heal people. Like, that's not normal. Normal people don't just walk up and heal people. They've seen Jesus speak to people that are dead, and they get up and quit being dead. Like, that's not a normal thing. They've seen Jesus, like, speak to people that have never heard before and they can hear and, and he touches their eyes and they've never seen before and they can see and he's said to people that have never walked before, get up and walk and they get up and walk. They have, Jesus can do amazing things. And this guy looks and he sees the mighty works of God being done through Jesus and he's like, there's no other explanation for what you can do except for God is with you. That's why I love those stories, right? Like, like God's doing something in our life because you can see in those stories, like there has to be something that is happening in this moment. And people have got us convinced, like all people want to hear about is these great theological battles. That's such a lie. Nobody cares about your theology. They want to hear what God is doing. Is God something other than the God on the page? Is he, is he working today? Is he moving today? And they see this. And when they see God work and move, it, It shifts something in them, and that's what's happened here to Nicodemus. He says, man, I I can't explain this. I can't explain this. I don't know. Like, other than God, I don't know how you can speak to people that have never walked, and they get up. I I don't know. God's all I got. And then it says in three, Jesus replied. Now, this doesn't really seem like a reply as much as an interruption to me. 
What is he replying to? Like, there's been no question asked. It, it seems like Jesus, when you read the response, it has nothing to do with anything that this guy's just said. It's like Jesus is on a totally different wavelength, and, he, and he's not even maybe in the same conversation as Nicodemus. But it says Jesus replied. I think Jesus interrupted in this moment. And you're like, why do you think that? Because I think Nicodemus wanted to know something. There was something on his heart that brought him into this place in this, in this moment. He didn't show up and just happen to run into Jesus in this place in the middle of the night. He comes seeking Jesus, and, and he wanted to know something. He didn't come out to compliment Jesus. He was searching for something. And he was trying to work up the nerve to ask this. Can you imagine, like, this guy is like a a religious guy who's one of 71 of, like, the top people that know the Word of God in the whole area. He's memorized probably vast links of the Scripture. He he, he knows it. He can teach it. He's familiar with it. He prays. He's talked to God. He knows about this God And what a humbling thing it would be for this man, one of like 71 people who's probably an elder in this area who people are looking to. He's probably had several students that he's taught. What a humbling thing it would be for him to walk up to this man, this presumably carpenter, and to ask this question. So he comes up and he's complimenting Jesus and Jesus is like, let me just stop you right there. I don't need the fancy talk. And he says, I assure you, I tell you with certainty, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus says. I don't know how you get that out of the conversation we just had. I know you're from God, you're a teacher, you do miracles. I see Jesus knows not only what he's saying, but what he's feeling, what he's searching for. And he speaks to not what the outside is portraying, but what the inside is craving. And he looks at him, he's like, I know what's on your heart. I know what you've come searching for today. I know what you showed up for today. And you can mask it in religion and you can mask it in compliments and you can mask it in worship. It doesn't really matter to me. You can mask it any way you want to. But here's the truth today. You come looking for life. The question that you just can't seem to humble yourself to ask today, that it's on your lips, is is this. How do I get to heaven? And here's the answer. Unless you're born again, you'll never see it. Now, how shocking would that be to this religious man who is probably, argument made, far more moral than anybody in this room? He's one of 71 religious leaders in all of Israel that have made it to this council. It means he knows more, he reads more, he prays more, he acts better than any of us. And Jesus looks at him and he says, your scripture reading is not going to get you to heaven. Your position is not going to get you to heaven. The fact that you're a teacher, it's not going to get you to heaven. The fact that you've memorized this thing, your prayers, it's not going to get you to heaven. Your morality is not going to get you to heaven. If you want to get to heaven, here's the way to heaven. You have to be born again. And if you're not, not only are you never going to get there, you're never going to lay eyes on it. You're never going to see it. Now, can you imagine being this religious man who's lived years and years and years and years devoting his life to following this law, keeping these commands, following this God, and then here's this man, this carpenter, who's looking at you and he's saying, it's not going to help. It's not going to help. Now, maybe here's the moment where we need to just get real. It's about 30 minutes before I wanted to get real today, but let's just get real. To all the religious people in the room, it's not going to help. Come tomorrow, come the next day, come the next day, come the next day. It's not going to help. Preach, sing, play, teach. It doesn't matter. It's not going to help. Memorize the whole Bible in order, verses and chapters. It's not going to help. Sing all the songs. It's not going to help. Be the most moral person you can be. It's not going to help. Because you'll never even be as good as this guy. 
And Jesus is looking at this guy and saying, it's not going to help. You're not going to get there unless you're born again. Now, this is the meat of the conversation that this man wanted to have with Jesus. He comes searching for assurance that he was going to make it, that his good deeds were going to mean something, that being on this Sanhedrin was going to do something, that living for, who knows, 40, 50, 60 years on this path of following God and, and keeping his commandments was going to mean something. And Jesus looks at him. He says, it's not going to mean anything. This is the conversation this man wanted to have because here's the truth of it. In his religion, he knew he was missing something. Just like in the reality of it, if you feel like you're missing something, it probably is the truth of you've invested your life in religion, not relationship. And this man knew it just like we all know it if we're there. So he doesn't go back to the compliments this is the conversation he was looking for and in for. He says, But how can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus, a man that had to be over 30, was probably up on in age far past that. He, he looks at Jesus and he's like, how? Look at me. L- look at me. How, how am I going to be born again? I don't think that's physically possible, Jesus. I can't just like, you know. I don't think it's ever worked. I've never seen that. I've never seen like a, a doctor able to perform that. I've never seen anybody just like get back in a womb and come out again. I don't know how to do that. I'm old. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't fit. This is Nicodemus asked him, can he, can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Like, what, what are you talking about? What, what are you talking about? Jesus goes on and he says, I assure you, unless someone is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Just just try again. Okay, break it down. Um, You've you've been born the first time. That's that's the water. It's flesh. That's how you got here. Welcome to planet Earth. That's that's number one. But you also have to be born of the spirit. Now, we don't really know the difference in soul and spirit and all that stuff. The Jewish people would have, and when they heard this, he would have known, like, that's, that's the God part. They refer to God in the Old Testament as the spirit over and over and over again. Spirit of God come across the waters. And, and when he heard this, he would have immediately identified it with God. I've got to be born of God or from God. There has to be something born in me that, that's, that's different than this flesh, this earthly thing. There, there, this is the second birth. I have to be born of the, the water, the, the first birth, and the spirit, the part of me that identifies with God. And that's true for all of us. You didn't just like come out saved. I've heard people say, I've always been saved. No, you haven't. You've always been lost. From a very early age, I can't remember anything about it, but I started going to church. No, you got religious here Jesus says it's not going to do anything for you. You've got to be born. You've got to be born two times of the water and the spirit. There has to be something in us that, that is made alive by God. And he says if you don't have that, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You'll never make it in. He says whatever is born of flesh is the flesh. And whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Whatever is born of God is God. And whatever is born of flesh, human nature is human nature. So he says in 7, don't be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. Don't, don't, don't be amazed. This is just facts it's truth this is you come seeking how do you get to heaven and i'm telling you you got to be born again in a he he knows he doesn't get it so he continues just to give him some illustrations he says the wind blows where it pleases and, and you hear its sound but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going so it is with everyone born of the spirit he says it's like this you all have some reference to the wind, right? Like that's universal. You've, you've experienced the wind if you've ever been outside on planet Earth. Like it happens. It doesn't happen all the time. Thank you, August. But it, it like happens. 
And we can all relate to that, right? Like we've experienced the wind, and, and, and you can't see the wind. If you can, that's awesome. Explain it to me later. Like unless you're Pocahontas, like you, you just can't <laughs> see the wind. But you can hear the wind. You can, you can, you can see the effects of the wind. You can even feel the wind. But the wind, it just does what it wants, right? You can't, you can't see it, and it does what it want, wants, but you can see the evidence of it. You can't command the wind. You can't, oh, breeze, it'd be really awesome today. It's 307 degrees in my car, and it'd be nice if we could get one of those. You, you can't do anything about that. And he says it's just like that with being born of the Spirit. See, the reality of it is, is all the religious people look the same, right? Like all the church people look the same. Even all the not church people, they all look the same. If we just pluck you out and put you in the middle of Walmart, like for the most part, you're going to look decently similar to everybody else at the Walmart. There's not like a blood test for if you know Jesus. There's not like a like a, a certain thing that happens to our bodies when we when we know Jesus. When we've been born again, but, but what he's saying is like you can you can see the evidence of it. He says this is what it's like when you're born again. You, you don't have any control over it. Just like you can't control the wind, just like you couldn't control your first birth, like nobody was just sitting around like eight and a half months in the womb being like, I think today's the day. You didn't schedule that. He's saying it's just like this with spiritual birth. You can't schedule that. I want to say that again because we have this teaching that's in this area of you are completely in control of your salvation and then it's false. And it leads people to stupid comments like this. Oh, right before I die, I'll just say this prayer and God will save me. You're probably going to die lost. Because God calls man. Man doesn't call God. You don't control God. You're not God's boss, and he's not your genie. And he's going to have a moment where he speaks to your heart, and you're going to respond or you're not going to respond. But here's the deal. You don't get to pick that, and you don't get to decide that. And coming and doing some magic dance in the front of the room and falling on your knees is not what leads you to salvation. God calls man's hearts to be saved, and man either responds, yes, I will, or no, I won't. And see, that mentality, it makes, the, it makes rejecting that so dangerous because when God's speaking to you, if you think, I'll do it next week or I'll do it three weeks from now or I'll, I'll do it a month from now or uh, my Uncle Jojo's not here this week and I, I want to I get saved when Uncle Jojo's here, well, God might have mercy and grace and might lead you to another opportunity or he may not. So when God's calling, you best drop your pride and you best come to the front of the room and you best answer the phone because you may not get too many more phone calls. Because it's God that calls man, not man that calls God. He looks at Nicodemus and he's like, you don't have control over this, brother. You might have control over a lot. You're like one of 71 people. You're used to saying jump and people say ha-ha, but that's not how it works with God. See, see, God, he's going to blow in the room one day and he's going to offer you salvation. You're going to say yes or no. You can feel the effects of it. You know what's happening. But here's the truth. You don't have any control. It's just like that with the second birth. First birth, second birth, same way. You get the shot. You don't have any control. And Nicodemus, he says, how can, how can this be? I don't get it. I don't get it. That's Nicodemus. I've read the whole Old Testament. I've got large parts of it memorized. I'm always hanging out in the temple, but I don't get it. And Jesus looks at him. He's like, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Like, oh, dude, I thought you were part of the Sanhedrin. You were trusting in that, right? Like you were, you were trusting your religion, but you don't get this. What, what's going on? Jesus replied, I assure you, what we, listen to that, what we speak, what we know, and we testify, what we have seen. There's like we, 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 we in there. And he's not talking about him and the disciples. He's like, I'm the Trinity, brother. I am God. Here's the clue. We, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm God. We're talking today about stuff we know because we've seen it. We've experienced it. Jesus is saying here, I'm God, dude. But, but you, don't, you don't get it. You don't accept our testimony. 12, he says, if I've told you about things that happen on earth, dude, I'm talking about the wind, and, and you don't believe, how will you believe when I tell you about things in heaven? 
If I can talk about the wind and you don't get it, man, how are you going to get these spiritual things? Here's the truth of it. God calls man. Man doesn't call God. If you understand, it's because God's speaking to you. And if you don't understand, it's because God's not speaking to you. And if you don't understand, you need to pray and ask God to speak to you because it's not a brain problem. It's a spiritual problem. God's got to talk to your heart or you're not going to get it. That's why every week you can talk to a room full of people and three or four people are like, yeah, yeah, I get that. And everybody else is like, I don't get that. It's because God doesn't speak to everybody every single time, maybe. You don't control God. And he looks at him, he says, no one has ascended into heaven. Here's a guy looking for how to get into heaven. No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. How am I going to get to heaven? Answer. Nobody will. But Jesus. On your own, you're not going to get there. What's he been saying this whole time? I know you're religious. It's not going to help you. I know you've got it memorized. It's not going to help you. I know you pray. It's not going to help you. I know you go to church. It's not going to help you. None of that's going to help you. It's not going to help. Come every single time. Come tomorrow. Come the next day. Come the next day. Come the next day. It's not going to help you because nobody's just chosen on their own to build some bridge to heaven. He senses he still doesn't get it. In 14, he says this, just as, let me talk to you in Old Testament for a minute, Nicodemus. Just as Moses lifted up a snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. He tells this little shortened version of a story we found in Numbers 21. You can look it up later if you want, but basically the people of God are out in the wilderness and they're complaining against God. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be in the wilderness. I don't, I don't like this bread from heaven, God. I don't, I don't, I'm tired of eating this stuff. Like, I don't want this anymore. I just, we had it pretty good in Egypt. Slavery wasn't that bad. And they were complaining against God and Moses. Now, you can complain against Moses, I guess. I don't know, but you can't really complain against God. And... and they're sinning against God in this moment. So I, God's rescued me, but I don't really care. God feeds me every morning, and I just have to, like, wake up and scrape some of it off the ground, but I don't really care. Like, who wouldn't want to have bread from heaven? That sounds amazing, but, like, they are tired of bread from heaven. God's provided, and God's done all these amazing things for these people, and these people are ungrateful, and, and they start complaining. I'm, I'm tired of this. I'd rather just go back to slavery. I'd rather just go back to captivity. There are potatoes in Egypt, right? Like, let's go back. Potatoes and chains. It's great. And in their sin, God sends these snakes into the camp, these poisonous snakes. It's Numbers 21. You can look it up later if you want. Sends these poisonous snakes into the camp, and these snakes start biting these people, and, and they're, they're dying. Get bit by a poisonous snake, it's not a good day, right? Like, they start dying, and, and there's nothing they can do about it. When they see that these people are getting bit and they're dying, they, they realize their sin. This is a punishment for sin. I've sinned, and sin brings death. And they go, and they're like, man, we, we, we're sorry. We, we, we were complaining against God. We're, we're sinners. We, we, need you to, you need, we need you to, Moses, to talk to God. We need you to talk to God, and we need you to figure out, like, how, how is this going to end? We've we got to have something better. We don't want to die. We're sorry that we complained, and, and we need a way out. So Moses speaks to God, and God says, hey, I want you to, to, to take a, a snake, a bronze snake, and I want you to put it on a pole, and I want you to lift it up. And anybody that gets bit by one of these snakes and who's dying, if they'll go and they'll, they'll look at the snake, this bronze snake, and they'll believe that God will save them. That they, they won't die. And it sounds like a really weird story, right? Hold on, I got bit by a snake and the snake's causing me to die and I have to go look at a snake to not die. And Jesus says, man, that's, let me speak to you, Nicodemus, in a language you understand. These people have sinned, and their sin has caused death. But God's willing to save them 
from their death and their sin. But to be saved from their death and their sin, they have to come face to face with it. They have to stare intently at the cause of their death, and that is the sin. They have to confront their sin. They have to see their sin. They have to see what they've done, and they've got to stare at it, and they've got to believe that even though they've sinned and this death has been sent to them, that there is a God who will still save them if they will come and they will repent. What's he seeing? What's he saying? He says, this is that's the shadow of the gospel. See, here's the reality today. If we're ever going to be saved, we have to come face to face with our sin. We want to talk about hell. No, hell is, hell is the snake. All right, we're going to die, and that's part of the venom. But hell isn't the cause of our death. Separation from God, it's not, it's not the, the, the cause of our death. It's the venom. It's what makes it so bad. It's what makes it painful. It's the thing that, that leads us into death. Like all these things are, are working together. But what caused the snake? What caused the death? What caused separation? What caused hell? What is that? Here's the answer. You did. And every one of us today has been bitten by the snake. Every one of us today will die. Every one of us will cease to exist in this place one day. We're going to live spiritually forever. But this vessel that I'm walking around in, this part that you see, this thing that you would identify as Brad, he's going to go into a hole one day. They're going to put him in a box. They're going to shut the box, and they're going to put dirt on top of it. And the only thing left of me here is maybe going to be a couple pictures and somebody writes my name on a stone. That's what's going to be left to me in this place. But I'm going to exist forever somewhere. And the thing that causes the death, the thing that's going to end me, the thing that's going to put me in that box is not old age and it's not some disease. It's It's sin. Because I'm a sinner and you are a sinner. You're going to go in a box one day. And the reason for that is you are a sinner. And sin brings death. That's not like popular speak anymore. But it's like real. Jesus looks at Nicodemus and he says, if you're going to be saved, if you're going to make it into heaven, if you're going to have a second birth, the starting place is you got to get to the fact today that you are a sinner. Oh, you might be a religious sinner. You might be a sinner that's memorized the Bible. You may be a sinner that, that, that goes to church every day. You may be a sinner that wears the right clothes. And you may know how to spin a mean prayer. And you may serve and have position and power in a church. But here's the reality of it. For all of us, we are sinners. And if that's a news flash to you today, man, I'm praying the gospel's hitting you today. Because you are a sinner. And you deserve death. Just like I deserve death. That's not God being mean. I've rebelled against God. My sin has caused me to come against a God who loves me. And I've chosen over and over and over again some pleasure, some thing, some created thing. And I've put it on some pedestal over God. And I said, I don't really care what you say. I like this better than you, at least right now. I'm no better than these people. and I'm no better than you people. And here's the truth. You're no better than me, people. And you're no better than those people. And Nicodemus is a, used to a world where everybody looks up and says, man, you're so awesome. You're so great. You're so religious. You're on the thing. You're, you're one of the dudes. He's, he's used to, I'm, I'm really a great guy. And Jesus is telling him the truth today. You're going to die lost. And it doesn't matter how many times you go to church. And it doesn't matter how many times you read the Bible. It doesn't even matter how many times you pray. You're going to die lost until you get here. You are a sinner. You're a sinner and it's sick and it's disgusting. And it's not what God has for you. Because sin brings death. And God doesn't want that. But he doesn't stop there. He says, but there's a way out, right? 
Here's the way out. Come face to face with your sin. You have to realize you're a sinner. And you have to be broken in your sin. And then when you're broken in your sin and you realize what your sin is doing to you, when you're so sick of the fact that the sin is killing you, and you come face to face with that and you confront that, then you can go look. Then you can go look. And when you look at this instrument of death and you look at what sin does, and you believe that God has a better way, that God can save you and He will save you and He wants to save you, at that moment, God will save you. And that's the context He sets around this verse. For God loved the world in this way. He looks at Nicodemus and he looks at a man who's a religious man but is far removed from any kind of relationship with God. And he says, God loves you, Nicodemus. He loves you, not because you're religious, not because you're good, not because you read the Bible, not because you pray, not because you're on the Sanhedrin. He looks at you and he knows you're a filthy sinner. You're rotten. And nobody, maybe nobody else sees that. Maybe everybody else sees the mask, the charade, but God sees it. He sees your sin, but he loves you. He loves everybody. And he loves you this much. He loved the world, every single person that would stand on this ball of dirt in this way that he gave generously out of God's heart, not our want. He gave his one and only son, the most precious thing in heaven, so that, listen to this, everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. He's like, here it is. I'm going to be lifted up. Your sin and your shame and your guilt, they're going to be placed on me and I'm going to take up your instrument of death. They're going to stretch me out and they're going to kill me. I'm going to quit breathing. And you're going to see what sin does. You're going to see how disgusting sin really is. It's going to kill the very jewel of heaven, the one and only thing that's precious. God will stop breathing because sin is disgusting and it has to be punished. Somebody has to die. Sin brings death. Somebody has to die. But God looks and he says, but I'm going to die. So you don't have to. And you can choose, like if you, if you don't want to come face to face with your sin, if you don't want to see how disgusting sin is, if you don't want any picture of that, if you, if you just want to live in your happy little religious life and come to church and do the thing, if you, if you just want to keep doing that, you keep doing that, but it's not going to end up well. Or today, you can come face to face and you can see this is what sin does. God is serious about sin. God hates sin. He hates sin so much that he took it on himself. He knew sin was going to kill you. And God chose to be killed so you wouldn't have to be. God is not joking around about sin. God is serious about sin. And we've lightened it and we've been like, it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. It killed Jesus. And you should look at those things in your life and it should make you sick. Like this is the thing that killed him. This is the thing that caused God to have to stop breathing. This thing that I'm doing, this thing that God is very serious about, this is the thing. I can't joke about this. I can't act like it's not a big deal. Jesus was crushed because of this. It is a big deal. And I hate it. God loves me. And there is a way out today. And he's the way out today. It goes on. God didn't send his son in the world to condemn the world because the world was already condemned. Snakes are already in the camp. Death is already going to happen. But so the world through him might be saved. Here's the reality today. God sees you exactly as you are. You can put on a mask for everybody else. You can do the church game for everybody else. You can wear the right clothes and say the right words. And you can be religious and you can do all the things. 
But God sees you exactly as you are. There's no mask in front of his eyes. We started a couple weeks ago with what? Everything's naked and exposed before him. He sees it all. You can't hide a thing from God. He sees your darkest moments, those things you hide from everybody else. He sees it. 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 The things that you would never tell me, he sees it. The things you don't want anybody around you to know. The things that maybe don't ever even come out, but you think them, you feel them. Like he knows all those things. He knows the depth of your rejection. He, he knows in, 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 an, in an amazing way, a way that you don't even know how you've pushed him away from you. But he still says over every one of us, I love you. I love you. I see it, but it hasn't stopped anything. I see what you've done, but it hasn't turned my back on you. I see what you've said. I've seen what you thought. I've seen what you felt. I've experienced the full amount of your rejection, but it hasn't changed a thing about my love for you. You may have rejected me, but I've never rejected you. Oh, I hate sin because I hate what sin has done to you. I hate that it's killing you. I hate that it's separated you. I hate that it's pulled you away. I hate, I hate what it's done to you. But then God would look right back and he'd say, but it doesn't have to be that way today. It doesn't have to be that way today. It doesn't have to be that way today. I died, so it didn't have to be that way today. I didn't want you to die, so I just died. I didn't want you to be crushed, so I was crushed. I didn't want you to be beaten and bruised, so I was beaten and bruised. I didn't want you to take the nails, so I took the nails. I didn't want you to wear the crown, so I wore the crown. I didn't, I didn't want him to hit you, so I let him hit me. I didn't want him to mock you, so I let him mock me. I, I wanted it because I wanted you. I would take everything from you so that I could have you. I would take all the sin and shame and guilt so that I could have you because I want you. I love you. That's what I feel like God would say to you today. But here's the reality today. You've got to want him back. You gotta want him back. You gotta want him back in such a way that you'll look to the deep parts that you hide from everybody, including yourself, and you'll look and you'll come face to face with your sin and you'll say, This is the thing. This is the thing. This is the thing that separated me from you. This is the thing that's kept me from you. This is the thing that's killing me. And here's the amazing thing today. I say that, and you know the thing that's killing you, don't you? You know the thing. What do we do? Let's push it over there. I'll just read more. Try it. It's because I don't know enough. You, you try that. It's because I don't go to church enough. You, you try that. We'll love to have you. It's because I don't pray enough. Yeah, you, you, you try that. Because I don't teach this class or do this thing. You, you try that. We'll love to have you. But the reality of it is it doesn't have anything to do with that. Those things will never fix you. Those things, will never they were never meant to. They were always meant to point us to one that can fix us. And the recipe from Numbers 21 and John chapter 3 is exactly the same. We've got to confront today our sin and we have to see, man, I am broken and in need of a God that wants to fix me. And I'm headed towards death. Some of you shut me off maybe an hour ago because you're like, this is a salvation message. It is, but I'm not talking about just eternity. I'm talking about today. Because your sin is killing you. You may be going to heaven, but you're going to go there beaten down by that sin. The sin that God's trying to rescue you from, that sin of pride or that sin of pleasure or that sin of want or that sin of I don't have enough, that sin of hunger, whatever that sin is, that thing that you've chosen over God, that thing's going to kill you. Maybe not spiritually, but it'll kill you physically. And God today is trying to rescue you from it. But the starting place is here. I am a sinner. Until we get that, we're never getting anywhere, right? I'm a sinner. I've chosen other things before you. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm a screw up. I'm a mess up. I need somebody to save me. And in that moment, we can look up. And there's a God who's ready and willing to save. Let me just speak to you for a moment. Maybe we can just close our eyes. For some of us today, that is a very real salvation message. And you know who you are. 
There's a God who for eternity wants to be with you, that wants to call you up out of this thing you're in and rescue you. And he wants to lead you into heaven in his victory. And he's done all that through the cross. He gets that you're a sinner and you're a screw up and you've messed it up. He gets all that. But here's the thing, even in that, he's never quit loving you. And he is for you and he wants you. And if he's calling you today, here's the deal. He may never call you again. And I know that's like old church thing, right? But here's the truth. If it is a God thing, if it is a 100% him thing and not a you thing, we got to answer when he calls. And if he's calling you today, then you need to respond. And you need to say, God, here I am. I'm a sinner and I've messed up my life and I want you. I need a savior and I believe you're it. And I know that I've done all these things, but I know that you don't care because when you died on the cross, you died for every single sin, even these. So I need a savior and you are a savior. Will you save me? And maybe the only words you can get out today are save me, but I believe if God's calling you, he's already prepared the way and you just gotta ask. But for others of us in the room today, we know that we've been screwing it up. We're going to heaven, but we're going beaten down and burdened because we're choosing to live away from God. We're choosing to live in in, in sin. We're choosing to do things that we know God doesn't have for us, and he's trying to set us free, and we need a Savior today. And if that's you today, I'm going to ask that you just be honest about your sin. You don't have to tell anybody, but you need to tell God. This thing's killing me. killing me and I hate it I hate what it's doing to me I hate what it's doing to people around me I hate what it's doing and it may today have power over me but it doesn't have any power over you so Jesus I'm praying You'll just pluck that sin up out of my heart. And you'll cast it away because I want you. I don't know what you need today, but I know a place where you can find it. And if God's speaking to you this morning, I'm just going to ask that you respond. That you, like we talked about, would humble yourself. That you would come and you would fall on your knees before God. Not so I would see it or people would see it, but so that without really caring about what anybody thinks except for God, we would just say, God, I need you and I want you. You're enough. So save me from myself.